0: Good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We've been going through a four-week vision series called We Are the Austin Stone. And in it, we're basically answering the question, what's, what's this church all about? If you can boil it down, at the end of the day, who are we and what are we called to do? We talked about three things so far. Number one, we love God. Number one, we love God. We're a church that's first and foremost called to love God. He's our first love and we love him because he first loved us. We're a church that's determined not to lose our first love for God. And all of the other things that we love are an overflow of our love for him. And all the other things that we love are rightly ordered when we love him first. And second, we love the church. You can't claim to love God but not his people. You can't claim to love Jesus but not his bride. We love the church because Jesus loved the church and he laid down his life for her. And last week, Matt shared with us about loving our city. We're a church that's called to be for our city, for the flourishing of our city. And if you missed any of those messages, they're all online for you. So this is the fourth and last week of our vision series. Austin Stone, we are called to love God. We're called to love the church. We're called to love the city. And lastly, fourth, we are a church that's called to love the nations, to love the nations. Now, where do we get that from, the idea of loving the nations? We get it from the mission that Jesus gave to his church in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. We also know it as the Great Commission. After Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross, after he rose again from the dead, before he would ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father, he would give his church a mission. He would say, I'm gonna give you a mission and you're going to do this and you're going to be about this until I return, until the very end of the age. Let's read it together, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here's the mission of God to love the nations by making disciples of all the nations, to love the nations by going to them, by preaching the gospel to them, by telling them about the good news of Jesus, by baptizing them, by teaching them all that Jesus taught us. All the nations, Jesus said. Panta ta ethne in the Greek. Ethne, the Greek word, is the word where we get the word ethne. And when you look at the way that this word ethne is used all throughout the New Testament, You see that Jesus isn't simply saying go and take the gospel to all the geopolitical entities of the world. He doesn't mean that nations in the way that you and I would commonly understand nations today. But what Jesus is meaning is that we take the gospel to every ethno-linguistic people group, to every group of people bound by one language, bound by one culture, Another biblical way to say it is that we take the gospel to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. What Jesus is saying is, I went to the cross for every tribe. And so if there's a tribe of people out there that don't know this, go and tell them. He's saying, I shed my blood for people of every language, and so if there's a people group out there bound by one language that don't know about my love for them, go and tell them. Jesus is saying, I ran some people from every culture, from every color, and so if there's a people group out there that have never heard this good news, then go and tell them. In other words, There's not a single distinct people group that exists in this world for whom Christ did not die, for whom the cross of Christ does not apply. And so if you've ever heard the term unreached people group, that's what we mean. There's a certain people group out there bound by one language, bound by one culture that have never been told about Jesus, that have never heard the gospel. And this is the reason why we at the Austin Stone give special emphasis to loving the unreached people groups because if you're a person born among an unreached people group, the likelihood is that you would be born, that you would live the entirety of your life, and that you would die without ever hearing the gospel. Not one time. Think about that. Think about being born amongst the people group where the very likelihood is that you would be born You would live your entire life, and you would die without hearing about the good news of Jesus, not one time. And missiologists estimate that there are about 7,000 unreached people groups in the world today. And right now, as we sit, there are 139 Austin Stone partners that are living amongst an unreached people group. In the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, 139 of our people from this body who left this amazing city that countless people are trying to move into every day, but instead they sold everything, they left their families, they left their friends to live in some of the most dangerous places that a Christian can live. Why in the world would somebody do that? Not only that, but why have 62 more of you from this body raise your hands to say, here I am, send me you're being trained and you're preparing to go and join them. Why? And not only that, but why should every person who claims to be a Christian, without exception, without exception, love the nations by playing some role in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth among people from every tongue, tribe, and nation? Why? For at least three reasons I want us to look at today. Number one, because the mission is sure because the mission is sure. God promises to accomplish it through his church. Number two, because it completes our joy, for the sake of our joy, not out of a sense of duty or task, but in pursuit of our joy we do it. And number three, perhaps the most important, because Jesus is worthy, because he's worthy. Not to receive the worship of some of the nations from some of the peoples, but from all the nations, not just some. Let's look at the first one, because the mission is sure. It's sure, we take the gospel to all the nations, not so that the mission will be accomplished, but because it will be accomplished. God is not saying, please do this, unless you do this, it's not gonna happen, no. He's saying, I don't need you, but I want you. I'm doing something incredible, and I want you to take part, I want you to be a part of it. That's the nature of the gospel. He's inviting us. In Revelation seven, the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John has given a vision into what's going to happen at the end of the age. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothing in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice Salvation! We see people from every nation, from all tribes and languages singing the praises of Jesus. Not one language is missing. Think about that. Think about all the languages that exist in this world today that have ever existed. Not one language is missing. Every people group is there and is represented and they're singing and worshiping Jesus and we long for this day to come, but we have to be careful This scene isn't written to stir our sentimentality. This scripture isn't written so that we can think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if all the nations joined in worshiping God? But rather, this is prophecy. Rather, this is a look into what will happen. God is promising that his mission will be accomplished. And so why should that motivate us? Why should that motivate us? Because God has designed us and he's wired us to give our all towards something that truly matters because God has designed us and he's created us to pour out our lives on the things that are significant and meaningful and that will truly count. Have you ever considered why you struggle with being lazy or why you struggle with being a workaholic? Have you ever considered it? You may have thought it was for all sorts of reasons but this is the primary reason. On the one hand, there's so many workaholics in this room. You're desperately trying to make your life count by working countless hours in hopes that the work of your hands will ultimately matter and that something you accomplish in some way will last and it will some way and be meaningful, but ultimately you're unsure. That's why you're so anxious. That's why you wake up at 3 a.m. and your mind is racing and you can't go back to bed because you're wondering, is this gonna matter? Everything that I'm pouring my life into, will it count? This is the reason why on the other hand there are so many lazy people in this room. You don't work hard. You don't work hard. You're desperately afraid to giving it your all, pouring out your life because you're questioning, why is that worth my all? Why is that worth giving my everything for? In other words, none of us want to waste our lives. There's not a single one of us that want to waste our lives. We don't want to pour out our lives and give our all for something that's ultimately not going to matter or after pouring out our everything, we're deathly afraid that it's all gonna be for naught. And through the Great Commission and through the prophecy of Revelation seven, this is what God is saying to us. He's saying, here's something that's eternally significant. That's what he's saying. He's saying, here's something that's worth pouring out your everything. Here's something that no one and nothing can thwart from being fully accomplished because I myself will accomplish it through you. Here's something that if you do and obey in this life, it will echo in eternity. He's saying your life will count. It will not be wasted if you spend it on gathering people from every tongue and tribe and nation into the throne room of Jesus so that King Jesus will receive the worship that he is due. If you do that, he's saying, it will not be wasted. You might even lose your life in this world, but you'll gain it in the next. And so we love the nations by taking the gospel to all the nations, because out of all the missions that exist in this world, think about it, out of all the missions that exist in this world that people give their lives for, whether it's career or money or family or fame, saying this is the only mission, This is the only mission that's absolutely sure to be accomplished. Out of all the missions in the world, this is the only mission that has eternal significance. This is the only mission that if you pour out your all, you won't be disappointed. The mission of God is sure. The second reason why we love the nations by declaring the good news of the gospel to all the nations is because it completes our joy. It completes our joy, what do I mean by that? I mean if you experience something truly wonderful, right? have you ever experienced something truly wonderful, what is the first thing that you wanna do? You wanna tell somebody, right? You wanna share that wonder with somebody. The first time I found out that an all you can eat Korean barbecue place opened up in Austin, Texas. I had to text everybody, I texted B-R-U-H, bruh, bruh. We gotta go check this out, right? The first time I asked Angela out, and her answer was, I'll think about it. I said, what, that's amazing! (laughs) So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) I gotta go tell somebody, right? Why, why? Well, God made us this way. He's made us in such a way that when you experience something truly wonderful, What you immediately want to do is share that wonder with somebody. And the sharing of that wonder isn't duty, it's not task. If your boyfriend takes you out on the most incredible date and at the end of the night he gets down on one knee and says, you're the love of my life. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? You say yes, you cry, you got a big fat rock on your finger. In that moment, what you're not thinking is, you're not thinking, well, I guess I gotta tell somebody. I, I mean, I guess I should call my mom, call my best friend. If it, in fact, if you pick up the phone and your, and your fiance knocks the phone out of your hand and says, no, you can't tell nobody, what does that do to your joy? Well, it cuts it short, Right? It cuts your joy short. In fact, God has created us in such a way that the sharing of the good news increases and it completes your joy. Next time, when you're sharing some good news with somebody, sharing some wonder with somebody, right, the news of a baby, the news of an amazing restaurant, news of cured cancer, as you're sharing it, stop and imagine, how am I feeling right now? I'm so happy right now. Sharing this news and in the sharing of the news, my joy is increasing and it's being completed. Do you see what this means? It means that God never meant the Great Commission to be a burden. God never meant his command for you to declare the gospel to all the nations to be a burdensome, joyless task. He wants us to share the gospel, why? Because he wants us to be happy. If you're a Christian here today, don't you realize that the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person has happened to you. you realize that? Think about all the great things that you wish would happen to you, right? But if you're a Christian here, don't you realize that the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person has happened to you? And God is saying, well, you ought to want to tell somebody about it. If the greatest thing that, has ever, that could ever happen has happened to you, we should not be saying, well I guess I should, I should tell my neighbor, I guess I should tell somebody. No, he's saying tell it to somebody and if you do, your joy will increase and he's saying share it with the whole world to the ends of the earth because I want your joy and happiness to know no ends, to have no bounds. Now all of that is absolutely true and biblical but I want to bring some sobriety into the calling to the unreached people groups. Church, they're unreached for a reason. They are unreached because they don't want to be reached. They are unreached because many of them are hostile to the gospel. And some people in these unreached people groups, if they had the opportunity, they would kill you. And they have. And so no, I'm not flippantly saying we should all go to the nations because we'll be happy. What joy can you cling to when you've sold everything left your home, family, and friends, and have labored for years to learn a foreign language and acclimate to an entirely strange culture to share the gospel, but there hasn't been a single convert? What if the things that you're experiencing for the sake of the gospel is not the joy of seeing people saved, but the misery of persecution and suffering and the threat of death? What do you cling to? Let's look at the Great Commission again. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me and therefore the mission that I'm calling you to is a mission that is sure I will do it, I promise. But what else does he promise us at the end? He says, behold, behold, to make sure he has our attention because this is something truly precious. He says, behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. The sending out, the sending out of go and make disciples is not a sending out of Jesus saying, I'm staying here, you go. That's not what this is, but an invitation to go where he will be, amongst all the nations, where he will be at work, drawing all men to himself. He says, I will be with you. And so to the 139 living among the unreached, listening, I wanna remind you once again, and to the 62 more of you getting ready to join them, I want you to hear, and to the rest of us, that God is calling to playing some role in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, I want you to hear that he will be with you. He will be with you. At the border of the closed country, as your heart is thumping and you're saying, this is it, this is it, right? As you're learning that tiring language and the only gospel you can express is not with the eloquence of your mother tongue, but like a child with baby words, he will be with you. In the disorientation of a new culture and foods that don't settle, he will be with you. And speaking of the gospel, when you're hearing, when you're hears, they may turn on you. They may persecute you. They may turn you over into jail. He will be with you. And even if, especially if, you're pressed to renounce Jesus or be killed, he will be with you. And you're able to say, I'm losing everything. But I still have him. He will be with you. The joy of being with Jesus. That's the joy that we cling to when the labor is exhausting and the suffering is real. If you really want to be with Jesus, I mean, a truly tangible sense of with, and perhaps you're a Christian here today, but for the longest time you felt like he's far off and you can't remember the last time that you really felt like Jesus was truly with you and you were truly with him. And perhaps the problem is that you spend way too much time and energy trying to get Jesus where you are, when what you really need is to go and join him where he is. If you haven't felt a real intimacy with Christ and closeness with the Holy Spirit, it may be because you're off trying to accomplish your own mission, when Jesus is elsewhere accomplishing his mission, and perhaps it's time to stop asking him to come and join you in what you're doing. God, will you please be with me? Will you please be with me in what I'm doing? But maybe it's finally time for you to accept his invitation and join him in what he's doing. And I wonder how many of you here today at some point in your life, in your walk with Jesus, you heard him call your name to go and join him in taking the gospel to all the nations. But for one reason or another, you stayed. One reason or another, you stayed. And maybe today is the day that you surrender to him and accept his invitation. And you know, you can't ever stay and make disciples. We can't ever stay and make disciples. Jesus said go, go therefore and make disciples. In one sense or another, we all have to go. We can't stay in our own comforts and make disciples. We can't stay in our own securities. We can't stay and worship our own privacy and make disciples, whether it's across the street or whether it's across the ocean, we're all called to go. We can't ever stay and obey the great commission. And so I want every single one of us every single person that if God has saved you by the blood of his son, I want you to make a commitment to go. Every single person. I want you to make a commitment to go. Last time we preached on the nations, I asked you if you would make a commitment to go on a short term trip in the near future. and I got some stats on that. So far this year, in 2018, it's September now, so far this year, 391 of you have participated in 37 different short-term trips to 26 different locations. Now listen to this. As a result of these short-term trips, 1,336 unbelievers have been prayed for, the gospel was shared 798 times, 29 people were saved, and a church was planted. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Church, let's keep going. And I want to make another ask. And I really thought about it, and I really think that this is something every single one of us could do. Our For the Nations team have set up on their website, forthenations.org, a way for you to give monthly. And the ask is this. I want every single believer here that would call the Austin Stone their church home, I want you to commit to give $25 a month. $25 a month. Some of us are called to give more, but I really believe $25 a month is something that we could all do. Church, we need you to give. And I unashamedly ask on behalf of all the goers that's sacrificed everything, sold everything, is among the unreached right now. We need you to give. One of the things that's constantly on the minds of the elders here at Dawson Center. one of the things that's regularly on our minds is this. We have 139 people already among the unreached, 62 more people that are being trained and preparing to go right now. And more and more every year responding to God's call for them to go among the unreached, and that's amazing. That's amazing, but we worry. We worry how in the world can we keep financially supporting all of these goers? This year we've committed to give $908,900 directly to support our goers financially. That may sound like a lot, but it's really not if it's divided by 139. And so once a month, just a couple of ideas, I invite parents in the room, parents to say to your kids, kids, we were going to go out to eat tonight, but we're gonna eat ramen noodles. Um, And I know that may be bad for you, but you know, God will somehow like Supernaturally blessed. It'll be the most nutritious meal that you'll ever eat for that whole month, okay? We're gonna gonna eat ramen noodles tonight so that we can give and pray for our goers. Others of us, just once a month, just once a month, before just clicking the buy button on Amazon, just once a month, pause before you click. Just pause and look at your cart and ask yourself, what can I do without this month? What can I do without this month so that I could be a part of supporting our goers, I really think we can do this. And in closing, I wanna give you one last reason why we love the nations. We love the nations because Jesus is worthy. Because he's worthy to receive worship from every nation, from all people groups, not just some, We love the nations because the preciousness and the value of Jesus' blood isn't just worth some of the nations, it's worth all the nations. Let's read Revelation five, verse nine. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed or you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The apostle John tells us that he heard the voices of myriads upon myriads and thousands of thousands praising Jesus, singing with loud voices these words, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain purchased people from every tribe and language and people and nation. That there will be a song about it in heaven, a song about the preciousness and the worth of the blood of Jesus to purchase not just some people, not just some tribes, not just some languages, some people and some nations, but people from every tribe, people from every language, people and nation. And so in a very real way, The extent to which we are engaging to take the gospel to all the nations is the extent to which we are demonstrating how much we think Jesus' blood is worth. If we truly believe in this text, if we truly believe that Jesus' blood is valuable enough to purchase people out of every nation, we will seek to engage all the nations with the gospel. And if we don't, And if we don't, we're saying one of two things. Either we're saying, no, Jesus. In fact, your blood wasn't worth enough to purchase all the nations. Or we're saying, no, Jesus, you're not worthy enough to receive worship from all the nations. When we don't love the nations by obeying the great commission, we're saying something about the worthiness of Jesus, something about the preciousness of the blood that he shed for us. Ultimately, it's about our King Jesus receiving the worship that he is due. That's what all of this is all about. Pastor John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. The only reason missions exist because worship doesn't the way that it ought yet Ultimately, it's about our King Jesus receiving the worship that he is due. This is what Revelation 5 is showing us, that the only kind of worship that Jesus is worthy to receive is the worship that, that comes from people of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And even if there's one single people group missing on that day, even if there's every people group that's there, but one's missing, even if, one, if, even if there's one single language that's not singing, the praises of Jesus, then he would not be receiving the worship that he deserves. Now this is what the nations are all about. The purpose of different races, right? That's the climate and the topic of today, right? The purpose of different races, all the different cultures that exist, all the different languages, every race, every culture, and every language exists, the Bible says, by Christ. He did it by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. This is the reason why racism is so evil, because it goes against the very purpose of the cross of Jesus to unite people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. In this world, the best, the best that the world can hope for is that people of different color languages and cultures just stop hating each other. The best that the world could hope for is tolerance, right? But Christianity, Jesus, God's word, is giving us a different hope. It's giving us a better ending. Not people of every color tolerating each other, but people of every color singing one song. People of every color united under one king. People of every color loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Revelation five tells us of a day when there will be a song that unites all peoples. Every shade of color, and that song is this. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Jesus has died, he has shed his blood to purchase people from every tongue, tribe, and nation And so he must have them all. And so he will have them all. The only question that every single one of us in this room, we have to settle in our minds is this. So is he worth it? So is Jesus worth it? And if he is, and he is church, then we join him. We say yes to his invitation to go and take the gospel to all the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for King Jesus. The one who left his throne. The first and true goer who left all of his comforts, who left all of his security, who left his family to come to us, to live amongst us, to wrap himself in poverty the one who was truly rich yet for our sake became poor so that we might by his poverty become rich. So Father, what we ask is where are you calling us? Maybe it's in Austin, Texas. Maybe it's neighborhood that's difficult to live in. Maybe it's your co-worker. Maybe it's your neighbor across the street. Maybe that's who you're calling us to, to go and share the gospel. But maybe it's Libya. Maybe it's China, where the persecution is rising and getting hot. Lord, wherever it is, Father, let our answer already be settled. Let our answer already be settled. Yes, here I am. Send me, God. Because you're worthy. The only question we have to ask is, is he worthy? Is he worth it? My life, my all, is the one who has laid down his life, is the one who has laid down his all for our sake. Is he worth it for us to lay down my life and my all? And Lord, he is worth it. Father, will you give us a glimpse into his beauty, a glimpse into his majesty and power and might so that we might truly settle for the rest of our lives all that he asks for, I will give because he's worthy. Jesus name we pray